Hello, and welcome to another episode of Daily American Press's Chatting with Abby. Today I have a special guest. She is a children's author, kind of undercover, going by the name Allie Crenshaw. Welcome, Allie. Hi, Abby. Thanks for having me on. It is my pleasure. I'm really excited for this conversation. Yeah, me too. I I listened to your podcast where you spoke about your experience in the writing community. And as soon as I heard that, I thought we need to chat about this because it's a rough one. Like the vibe in the writing community. <laughs> I feel I like you understand. Yeah, mm-hmm. I caught a little bit of a glimpse of it um, from just from an outsider standpoint as a, as a reader, but I can only imagine what it's like being in the thick of it when you're relying on that for your your income and all of that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about your experience and your history uh, and then this new project you're working on. Sure. So it was about six or seven years ago I started getting involved in the writing community. Um, I write picture books. I write chapter books. I write um, books for older teens, or I mean younger teen, teens, and I really, really enjoy writing. It was a great creative outlet. I'm a mother of small children, mm-hmm. um, and I noticed pretty quickly that the publishing and writing community was very far left. Um, people would post very kind of provocative statements online, and they would get very cheered on, and it seemed like the further left the take the more retweets, the more shares. Mm. And I also noticed that I did not see a single open conservative in the whole writing and publishing community who asked a conservative idea, thought like zero. I, I still, after all these years, know zero published conservative authors. Um, of course, there are some that, you know, will publish, publish with um, small presses or with, um, Christian presses, and that's great, but it's not very mainstream. It's not the people that are publishing with Random House or Scholastic or the big, you know, the big five is what they call them. So um, I did witness few things where, um, well, I I witnessed many cancellations. Mm. Um, The funny thing is they were not cancellations of authors who were conservative because those didn't really exist. They were cancellations of authors who dared to kind of express a moderate sentiment, I guess you could say. Um, So I think the first thing that truly kind of made me feel extremely uncomfortable, because before I kind of was like, okay, these people are very intense. I'm just going to kind of hang out here in this space and not express any political views and just kind of talk about writing and talk about books. And that's fine. But I had a friend, um, it was during the election that it started to get really bad in 2016. She posted a meme that said something like, um, your neighbors are not going to be there when, gosh, I'm going to destroy how how this was. But it was basically along the lines of um, you don't need to know the political standpoint of your neighbor, your grocer, like we all just are in this together and like we need to love each other basically. And I thought, oh, that's, that's really nice. Um, So I liked it. And then I saw she started getting piled on by all Mm. of our author friends, like people who I thought were friends with us. They were saying, saying this is a bad take. You can't like make both sides on equal footing. There's one that's so much worse. 
And they were getting really angry with her. And I oh, thought, wow. wow, that was such a common sentiment. Um, and then I, I've just seen many authors have their books wrecked with one-star reviews. I've seen publishers drop authors um, because screenshots of their Facebook profiles got to their agent. And wow. anyway, um, and I've seen agents. Agents also, um, there was one agent during the Black Lives Matter protest. I don't know if you heard about Donna Fredrickson. I did. You did? But what do you remember from from her? I just remember that there was a, a crazy situation that I remember thinking was wild. So go ahead and fill us in. Yeah, it was pretty wild. So what happened was she posted that the gas station at the end of her block was being looted. And she said, I'm going to call the cops. They need to board this up. Mm. Again, that seems very normal, but she had people starting to pile on her saying, do not call the cops. They're the enemy. This You are making this oh, a dangerous wow. situation. Um, and because she did not immediately apologize, I think that's what makes them very angry. She did not immediately apologize. She was like, oh, I'm just asking them to board it up. I, I love, you know, I love black people. I support them. Um, but she didn't retract what she said. And it got more and more mm -hmm. intense. People would um, post calling her out. And eventually three of her agents quit the publishing um, company that or the agency that she ran. And there's some sort of legal action going on right now. It, it became very intense. So wow. anyway, this is all a bunch of background to see. So you can see how like you step out of line a little bit and you really get piled on. Um, writers are very uh, involved on Twitter. And unfortunately, people say Twitter isn't real life and it's not. But at the same time, it does affect real life. It really results in people losing their jobs or getting terrible reviews or... Um, having their agents drop them, et cetera. Yeah, I've definitely heard, especially of the role that Goodreads, which is a reading social media app for people who don't know, uh, a role Goodreads plays in that even before a book's publication, people who have sometimes never read the book can go and write whatever review that they want to. And so a lot of people will rely on Goodreads reviews to see whether or not they want to read a book. And sometimes a book mm -hmm. is completely destroyed right out of the gate because people have gone inflamed. The horde has come and left so many one-star reviews that the book is never going to be able to dig its way out. Exactly. And another thing that happens is when this book becomes blacklisted, mm -hmm. all the book reviewers are afraid to review it because if they review it, they're seen as giving a platform to hate. So mm. there was one reviewer who I have emailed back and forth with a bit. Her name is J.M. Buckler, and she was huge in the book reviewing community. She's also publishes with a small press, uh, or maybe it's a me. I don't know what her press is, but she is a young adult author as well, and her books mm -hmm. look really great. Um, but she had the audacity to say, like, just review and read what you want. Don't worry about people canceling you. And they canceled her for that. So no what they more. did is they bought her a bunch of fake Instagram followers so that they could report her to Instagram and have her kind of like shadow banned. At least that's what she yeah. told me. Um, and they're just dragging her all over Twitter and 
she's kind of embraced her role as the black sheep though she which i really appreciated mostly you see these people backing down and coming out with statements apologizing she never apologized she kind of just has gotten more and more awesome i she was just posting about the babylon bees um woke book and anyway so i really like her she's a fun one to follow on instagram if you're into book reviews and the writing community what was her name again um, her name is J. M. Buckler. Buckler, with a C K. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to check her out. So you publish under a different name, under your name. Um, yes. And now you're working on this more conservative project. Mm-hmm. Your your pseudonym, Ally Crenshaw. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So. One thing I feel very strongly about is that kids need to be in school and they need to be maskless. Um, I have small children and I want them to be able to see their teachers' faces. I want them to be able to talk with their classmates without, um, you know, not being able to hear. And also I have a son who has a little bit of a speech impediment. And so it just really hits home for me, the fact that so many schools are still masking Mm -hmm. and one day I was talking to my husband and I said, like, kids are not at danger for this. It is a cold for them. This is like if we were to force kids to wear helmets all day long so that they don't fall and bonk their head because they're more likely to fall and bonk their head. Mm -hmm. But we don't do that. And I started thinking, well, I've seen all these conservative picture books come out that kind of have an animal allegory. And I was like, this could be really cute. I could do this with uh I think initially I was thinking like pigs and helmets and then I'm like ah I don't know about that I I went through a couple things and I landed on frogs wearing floaties because of course know how to swim they will be fine without floaties um but it's the story about a class of frogs and they get this paranoid nurse who wants them to wear floaties all the time and (laughs) it's a social commentary because you can see the frogs acting kind of like our society right now, they accept it at first and then it escalates. She says, well, you don't just need the floaties. You also are going to need a scuba mask because you might still fall in and get trapped in a pond. Um, And it shows the risks. Like there is always a risk in life. Um, That's kind of the message at the end. But you have to be smart about it and you have to weigh like what the downsides are. Like when he's in the floaties, he can't color very well because they're so poofy and he gets them stuck in the swings. And when they're wearing the <laughs> mask, well, the scuba mask, he can't see his teacher smile at him when she show, he shows her the picture. He can't hear his friends very well. So there's kind of a little more of a <laughs> parallel there. But I don't mention masks specifically because I want kids to kind of just learn these principles that sometimes those empower our are wrong like even though this nurse cares about them she is wrong and at the end he um kind of cleverly teaches her how every day we have risks um i don't want to give away the ending but it's a good ending (laughs) (laughs) that sounds so cute and so timely um so you said the title is frogs don't need floaties frogs don't need floaties yep all right and do you do your own are you working with an artist? 
I went on Fiverr because <laughs> I was like, how in the world am I going to find an illustrator for a book like this? I, I didn't know if I'd like one that absolutely hated the message. But luckily on Fiverr, most of the illustrators are from other countries and they're not, you know, masks aren't as political there. Um, okay. It's not, not as much of a hot button topic. So I did hire like five different illustrators to give me a sample. Um, okay. And I chose the the one that I like the best. She's very talented. She's from, oh my goodness, what is it? I think Indonesia or something like that. And okay. I was up front with her. I'm like, this is an allegory that is against masking children. Are you okay with that? And she was like, uh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> she didn't didn't seem to care. And she did a wonderful job. The, the illustrations are just adorable. That. That is amazing. So when when is this book going to be available and where will it be available? Um, I am self-publishing this. It's going to be on Amazon and Amazon only. Um, so if you just type in Frogs Don't Need Floaties book, you'll see it by Allie Crenshaw. Oh, that is so exciting. I'm definitely going to go find it as soon as we're done with the podcast. Yeah, um, well, I'm actually, I'm probably going to publish it either tonight or tomorrow, um, which I, by the time this comes out and people are listening to it, it should be available. Or do you publish awesome. this right away? Um, it will be, yeah, it'll be tonight unless something happens with the file. Sometimes it takes us a minute to get all the tech stuff worked out with it. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll publish it tonight. It's that's kind of the fun thing about self-publishing is you have so much control over, like, I went back and forth on the details with the illustrator. I can decide, like, when I release it and who I market it to. And um, it's been fun. It's It's been just, like, something that I've never – I never intended to, like, make a ton of money from this. I don't think I'll make back my investment with the illustrator. It's just more because I care about this topic. I want parents to have something – to talk about these things with their kids um and it's just fun to have a creative outlet and do something that I care about that's incredible yeah um well, I had a question and I lost it I oh, had a question well, for you oh okay you go yeah, first. Go for it. <laughs> oh I was just going to ask um I'm curious about your writing history so I think I've asked you before, do you write mystery? Is that what it was? No, I, so I'm not published at all. I, mm -hmm. I had a book Twitter account and I was in that space and that's where I had my interactions with Allie Carter. And, um, there's, there's a whole episode about that of the podcast, but I do, I do have a finished manuscript that I'm trying to figure out where I want to try to sell it. Cause it's kind of, I don't, I don't want to get trapped in the, in a space where I can't speak. Right. So um, it's, it's a, you could probably shoehorn it into a Christian romance genre. It is not really mm -hmm. that, but that's probably where I'm going to have to put it. If that makes any sense. Do they go to church? Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> so and it's not super romancy either. It's more literary, but I do think that that's where it's going to have to land okay. if I want to publish with a with a kind of more conservative place. Right. That and is, is it if young they'll and... have me. Okay. Is it young adult or adult? It's a, it's adult. It's I mean they're pretty young, but yeah, it, it would be adult. 
there actually is a huge market for clean romance. Yeah. I've noticed, um, oh, who is that author? There's an author who she was self-publishing for a long time and she was rocking it. Like she was selling tons and tons of stuff. She was a Southern woman and she wrote, oh, that book about like the ballerina and the football player. Maybe some of your listeners will know what I'm talking about, but awesome. people really crave clean romance because there's not a ton of it. There really isn't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, it's just, it was a story that kind of, I started working on in the middle of college and I worked with an author I knew on it. She, my college paid her to help. It was like an internship program. So I got to work with her on it and uh, just kind of slowly worked on it for a long time. Mm-hmm. So it's been, it's been a bit of a dream of mine to publish, but I also... I don't know how to express it. I didn't, it's not been my like big dream. It was just something I wanted to do as a creative outlet. If, mm-hmm. And then if, if, if I can get it published, that would be amazing. And if I can't, that's okay too. Right. Well, if you ever need help writing the query letters or finding publishers, um, I'm here to help. I would love that. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think people who are listening are probably curious about what you have written beforehand, but you're trying to kind of keep your name and your um, writing persona separate from all of this. Is that correct? I am. Um, just because con- contractual issues, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not strictly certain if I'm allowed to self-publish. Um, I kind Ooh. of wanted to talk about this a little too. There are some kind of like institutional pressures in place to keep um, authors from expressing their opinions. So Mm -hmm. um, publisher who I am with, uh, I will not say the name of the publisher, but I think most of them do this. They have something called a morality clause and you sign it when you publish with them. They pay a lot of money. The, The big publishers pay just, I got a lot of money for my books like which you know I I just signed whatever they gave me at the moment you know because it was a lot of money and this said if your reputation is very different than when we signed you then we have the power to um, drop your book and I think it even says that they can sue you for the advance that they paid you like they can take it back from you and they leave it intentionally vague So there was a big thing going on in the past where all these different authors were getting accused in the Me Too moment. They were getting accused of being um, like womanizers or sexual harassment, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I think that might have covered that kind of thing. Like if you get accused of sexual harassment, then they can drop your book and take back their advance. But does that also mean if you speak out strongly against school closures, if you speak out strongly against vaccine mandates, does that count? Can they take away your advance? You know, so it's kind of scary. And I think they do it to just kind of intimidate you. Um, So that's, that's one thing. And then they also have all the big book reviewers. There's School Library Journal. There's Kirkus Book Reviews. Um, there's children's bookshelf. They're very far left. And if your book is problematic in any way, quote unquote, like maybe you 
don't strictly list the races of every single character, they'll point that out and they'll um, kind of like nitpick your book for wokeness, I guess you could say. I had one book where they were complaining in the review that it was too heteronormative or something like that. Mm. And it was a book for children for like 12 year olds. So wow. Exactly. It's you're, you're very incentivized to make your book as woke as possible to get the good reviews, to get the stars from Kirkus, to get um, the book reviewers, you know, it's, it's all incentivized to be very far left to throw in the extra gay character into your children's book just for the sake of the woke points to um you know anything like that it's pretty crazy wow so here's one thing that i have wondered for a long time is that it used to be that reading was something that broadened your mind and and made you more receptive to other people's viewpoints and and helped you see that the world was bigger than yourself and that people thought differently and that that was okay. And how is it that this whole publishing, reading, writing community has become so narrow and um, unreceptive to other ideas? How did that happen? That is a super good question. And I've pondered that myself I'm like how mm-hmm. how is it so like this and I think that the answer is just group think I think that there's a really strong psychological um thing that happens I'm not being very eloquent but people really step into lockstep when um a community becomes a part of their identity if I'm a writer I'm part of the writing community we believe these things And if someone steps out of line, they are the other, they are threatening to us. And um, it's just a form of groupthink, I I think. Also, writers tend to be very emotional and get offended very easily. They just very are um, like the type, like the blue personalities, if you know, like the red, the blue, like they're very Mm -hmm. emotional. And I think they're very empathetic and um, that kind of leads themselves it can be good, but it can also lead them to um, lash out or sometimes be irrational about certain things. Yeah. So very, very receptive to how people think of them. So if people mm-hmm. are yelling, definitely bending to that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also they see people that they perceive to be the underdogs, you know, um, left of it, leftism is very obsessed with the oppressor and the oppressed. Mm. And so they really want to be the hero and rally for the oppressed. And in my point of view, I think sometimes that turns into um, like, it's almost demeaning. It's almost uh, condescending that they feel like they have to be the rescuers. Yeah. I, and this is, that is precisely the reason why I veered left for a bit out of college is that I do, I do feel for the people who are, the underdogs are, or the unfortunate. And I did have to be corrected, um, about that savior complex or, you know, all mm-hmm. of the things that go into it that, you know, sometimes it's not compassion. And a lot of what leftism is, is, is really not compassion, but it, it does have that. It looks good, especially to it's that facade of compassion and kindness. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really, really attractive I guess 
I agree. Um, I also was leftist in college, and I think that's why I got into the um, the liberal arts. I, you know, pedagogy, English teaching, um, mm. writing. I took a lot of creative writing courses. Um, and yeah, the older I've gotten, I think it does come from a good place, but it's kind of just a naive way of looking at the world. Um, a lot of ideas don't work quite as well in practice as in as in theory um mm. and it's just something that you have to grow up and see and learn and look at the results of the areas that have totally embraced these politics and policies and the ones that haven't yeah do you think that this is why so many churches have also veered left i think so i've noticed that a lot too um wokeism creeping into a lot of christianity because yeah i mean a lot of it is rooted in caring for your neighbor and and doing good things but you have to i think you have to just have the holy spirit kind of tell you what the balance is where the line is that it's going too far and it's becoming a, an idol almost in and of itself yeah there's a huge difference between loving your neighbor and taking care of your neighbor and, and putting all of your resources into taking care of your neighbor and the government requiring that you take care of your neighbor and telling your neighbor that they don't have to, you know, they don't have responsibility over themselves at all. Right. I think that with the writing community, especially like the red flag is that they are so uncompassionate and unforgiving of those with different points of view. Mm. So you can claim to be as, you know, thoughtful and heroic as you want. But if someone has a different idea about, um, you know, critical race theory or, um, oh, why can't I think of that word? Affirmative action. Like, you can't just bash them and automatically go to they're a racist and they need to be canceled. They're problematic. Yeah. That is their favorite word, problematic. <laughs> it was it was wild to me. I grew up in a in a conservative household where I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter because Harry Potter was, you know, witches and, and wizards, and that was all very bad. And so Harry Potter oh. was something that was outside of the conservative Christian community for me. And then by mm -hmm. the time I got old enough to enjoy it, she'd been canceled by the other side. And I just, so interesting how leftism and wokeism just eats itself and everybody just gets eaten eventually. It's true. Yeah, I've noticed that too. Um, they, they also are very, very entrenched in the gender theory thing. Mm -hmm. um, yes. it's, it's been interesting watching a lot of my author friends come out and say, I'm actually bisexual. Like, mm -hmm so many of them and I'm like okay well like is this for <laughs> you know I, I I probably shouldn't get too into my views on that but it is interesting how it incentivizes um things like that exploring and uh, experimenting and gender isn't real it's all a cultural construct and you kind of have to write that into your books it's not very common these days to find a strong father figure um, mm. a mother who stays at home and, you know, intact families with, especially with lots of children, you don't see these things often in children's literature anymore. That's true. I always, I always thought maybe it came down to it's easy 
might <laughs> just one parent than two because it's one less character you have to flesh out. That is true. That is very true. <laughs> um, or it's it's easier. Well, Harry Potter, it was easier to just have the kids in a in a circumstance where there weren't a whole lot of adults around, so they could have their shenanigans. And but right. yeah, it, it definitely even maybe even just the structure of story itself incentivizes uh, broken situations to be um, mainstreamed. I suppose. It's true because I, um, for one of my books, I wanted to have a lot of siblings, but it just, it really did feel kind of crowded as I was writing Mm. it. Um, So I did three. I'm like, okay, well, three is better than the only child. It seems like there's a lot of only children. Yeah. Not a lot, but I tried. (laughs) What's your favorite children's author right now? Just to, to read to your kids. My kids are very little, so um, I read them books over, like, authors. I don't have, like, a favorite author. However, I did hear that Julia Donaldson recently came out and said that she felt masking children was dystopian. Uh, She wrote, I was so shocked because you do not say stuff like that as a children's author. Um, However, she does not have a Twitter, so she's not involved in that world, and she's older. Okay. Um, but I saw headlines saying Julie Donaldson said this and I went and bought her book, The Gruffalo, and I remembered reading it as a kid. And so they've been enjoying that recently, The Gruffalo by Julia Donaldson. It's super cute. That is incredible. Um, I remembered my question from earlier, which was, is your book going to be available physically or is it just ebook form? It's going to be just a paperback. I'm trying to figure out how to do a picture book on Kindle, and it is so hard. So if anyone can help me. (laughs) But for now, it's just going to be paperback. It's um, $8.99. I'm only getting like $1.50 somehow for every copy. So this is not a grift. Like, this is not me trying to enrich myself. I really care about this. Um, And I I want kids to learn these lessons, to learn that... Um, we don't have to think the same way that everybody thinks. Sometimes the people in power can be wrong. Like we have to kind of program them to understand these concepts, even though they're kind of nuanced and that's hard when you're a kid. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm so, I'm so impressed that you're doing this. I'm so happy you're doing this. And um, to anyone who's listening, go on Amazon for Frogs Don't Need Floaties by Allie Crenshaw. And then also follow Allie on Twitter. What's your handle on Twitter? It's Allie Crenshaw12. One, two. One, two. Okay. Yeah. Well, this has been a really good conversation. And I know for a fact I'm going to want you back sometime yeah. really soon. I love chatting. I would love to come back and talk. All right. Well, you have a lovely evening and Uh, I will see all y'all on Twitter. Have a good night. Bye, Abby. Bye.